Today marks an important day in rediscovering God's mission for our congregation. It's an important juncture in which we stand right now discovering our identity as a part of and within God's mission in the world. That is who we are in Christ Jesus. Over the past few weeks, we have heard how our Lord's mission was to seek the lost. We have heard how the disciples went out to do the same, to seek the lost. We saw how the apostles went to all the corners of the earth to follow their mission call to seek the lost, go and make disciples. We saw how they used the structures of the Jewish synagogue and pagan Greek places as well to preach the word in the culture of the people to whom they were sent. We saw how the first Christian church's organization overcame obstacles such as circumcision to include also the Gentiles in the promise of God and that it was their call as well to go and make disciples. We saw that pastors and elders, deacons, bishops, overseers were a practical structure used by the church to fulfill the call to go and make disciples under the persecution from, other, from both Romans and Jews alike. And we saw how after Christianity was made legal, that for 1,200 years this organization or system of overseers became centralized in Rome and developed into a structure of wealth and political power and authority even over secular kings and princes, the Holy Roman Empire. Last week was Reformation Sunday, and we saw how Luther, that while searching God's word for peace and love, to know a God who was not against him but for him, saw that salvation came through faith alone in Christ Jesus and not before the obedience of the Pope. In fact, he took his stand, remember, and said that unless he could be convinced by Scripture not by councils, not by popes, not by bishops, not by canon law, but by scripture, that he was wrong, that faith is not what gives us salvation, then he was ready to be burned at the stake. In saying that, he was stepping outside the organized church. He was leaving the church, and the church taught that anyone outside the church was not saved because the church was the salvation. For Luther, he was risking his own salvation by standing firmly on God's word instead of obeying what those powers in the church said to do. In Scripture, in Luther, in scripture Luther learned that our salvation was not through any organization, was not through any institution, but rather through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. A confession that today we might take easily for granted because of the relative freedom that we have in this world to confess our faith in Jesus Christ and know that through him we have eternal life. We learn that salvation was not granted by simply being a member of the church that belonged to the priests or the bishops or cardinals but rather that we belong to Christ because of what he did for us. 
It is as Christ said it would be in Matthew 16 when he said, And Jesus answered him, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overpower it. That he will build his church on the rock, which was Peter's confession of faith, not on Peter himself. Christ's play on words between Peter, Petros in Greek, meaning rock, and the confession being Petra, the rock of salvation, led the church for 1,200 years around St. Peter as the head of the church and salvation. The rock is the confession of faith. This church is built on Christ, not on a person. The Roman church taught that it was St. Peter. The gospel and Jesus teach that it is through his blood that we become priesthood of all believers. In other words, you and I are the church. You and I make up the church. The church does not exist without you and me. The church does not exist without the saints. That was the passage from Peter's first letter in chapter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, called by God through his word. The church and the congregation do not exist because of the priest or the pastor, but because you are a chosen people who have been reborn through faith in Jesus Christ, having heard the gospel proclamation, having been welcomed into fellowship through baptism. I am not the church. You and I and everyone here is the church. We are Grace Lutheran Church, a part of God's priesthood of all believers. And because we are all together a royal priesthood, there is no difference between you and me. We are all members of one body, a holy nation, God's own people, a royal priesthood. We are the priesthood. To us, God's called, that is the church, we have been given the gifts of his kingdom. Not to me, to all of us. To us, the gifts of God are given. That is, his word, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and the mandate to go and make disciples. The mandate to go and make disciples was given to the faithful believers, not merely the twelve. To forgive others' sins was given to all those who followed Christ, not merely the twelve. Baptism and teaching was given to the community of the faithful, all those who believed, for making disciples of all nations as they went out. These gifts were not given to any individual to act individually, nor to any church organization that does not include the faithful believers. The Lord's Supper is celebrated by the people and among the people as it is a gift to those who believe and have their faith in Jesus Christ, not to unbelievers, 
It is not the pastor nor the priest who dispenses these gifts, does not own these gifts, but they are property of the communion of believers. Why do I make such a big deal about this? Because there is an undercurrent of beliefs or assumptions that are vestige of the Roman Catholic Church and culture and structure, ingrained in the mind of people today, and some pastors as well, dating from the time of the Reformation and continuing on till today. This ingrained vestige in the minds of many parishioners carries two misconceptions that all together undo what the Reformation and the Gospel rediscovered as part of God's mission. First, misconception. That only a priest or a pastor has the authority and the ability to preach God's word, to evangelize, to baptize, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to marry, to bury, make home visitations, basically everything. But I don't do windows. Hey, you are listening. I don't do windows. The second misconception that everyone sitting here today, other than the pastor, is a member of Grace Lutheran Church. Member of the constituted organization of the congregation. And in the minds of many, that member means membership. And it has its privileges, as we hear on commercials every day. I carry a Costco card. I'm a member of Costco. I have certain privileges. I have the right to go in and consume. Any Christian has the right to come in four doors and consume. As members in membership, we receive special privileges, forgiveness of sins, going to communion, being saved in the church. If you understand my meaning here. The funny thing about membership is that it usually means you belong in name only and you pay your dues like attending or participating or offering. Classic idea of being a member of something means you take part in order to receive something, a benefit, a special privilege in a club that is governed and operated by other people. Our classic cultural definition of member. A member consumes what the club has to offer or produces without necessarily needing to take part in active part in the club. Many Christians only consume and belong, but do not think of themselves, do not think of themselves as an active part in a congregation. The church is there for them, but it is not of them or because of them. Well, when Paul talks about the church, and we have two passages where he talks about the church as the body of Christ, he uses the human body as an example. When he says in 1 Corinthians that not all our hands or feet or mouths, he is not merely saying that we all have different functions in the congregation. He is saying that the congregation does not exist as a congregation if we do not take 
on the role of using the particular ability or gift that we have. As a human body has members, but unless the members function properly, they are useless to the body. And if it does not function and only consumes what other body parts can do for it, the body will not function properly. That is in God's mission. Go make disciples. In Corinth, Paul uses the image of the body and everybody working together using their gifts precisely because the problem in that congregation was that people tended to elevate certain gifts and ability over others. In other words, those who prophesied thought that they were much greater than those who taught or those who cleaned the tables after the Lord's Supper, which was a greater feast than it is traditionally in our churches now. Paul teaches that in order for the body of Christ to function, we all need to understand that we all have different abilities and different gifts to contribute. Great and small is not the question. Functioning and not merely existing is the body of Christ. And that's Paul using the body of Christ. There's not one person here who does not have the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is not one person here that does not have a specific ability that builds us all up as the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, from those three chapters, 10, 11, and 12, Paul talks about the body of Christ. And in chapter 10, he talks about the body of Christ as being one loaf. The body of Christ is one. He says the same way that we are one. No difference. None better. None doing more than the other. Everyone doing their part. We are the body of Christ in this world. Tempted. Tried. Ridiculed. Suffering. Rejoicing. Proclaiming. Living. And dying as saints. And as the body of Christ, we all have the gifts to function and carry out God's mission of the gospel. I am a part of the body of Christ as much as you are. We are on equal ground. I have no greater or lesser gifts than you, which is what the priesthood of believers means about what Peter's talking about. The body of Christ. I may have to exercise my gifts more. I even try to do those which I do not have, as we were instructed in seminary. It doesn't matter if you have the gifts or not. You've got to do them. That means it doesn't. I feel I don't have the gift to stand before people. Do it! If you're called to be the preacher, you got to open your mouth. I don't feel like I have the gift to be able to go and visit someone in their home, not very talkative person. Yeah, but you're called to be the pastor. Do it! Pastors have to fulfill gifts that they don't have. I may have to exercise my gifts more and even try to do those which I don't have, but engaging and using gifts leads to discovering other abilities that you can do through the doing, through the exercise of your faith. Yet many see the pastor as someone higher, closer to God, less of a sinner, tempted less in life, more holy, and themselves as sinners in need. Talk to my wife. You want to hear a sermon? 
If you want to see a crucifixion, <laughs> fact is, no different. Tempted the same way. But if I am a part of the body of Christ in the same way that you are, why am I here and you're there? Is it a difference in ability? Is it a difference in smarts? Is it a difference in knowledge? What makes me, me, and you, you? We need to understand this in order to rediscover God's mission the way it was from the time of the apostles and spoken of in all Christian. Here it is in a nutshell. Point one. Like we said before, we are given the gifts of Christ. We are given baptism, word, the Lord's Supper. We're given to be the body of Christ. We are together the congregation. As in the time of the apostles, someone was appointed. Someone had to have hands laid on them, which today is ordination, but at that time was just a blessing and a public recognition that this person was going to exercise the ability of leadership among the people in a given area, in a congregation. And they were called presbyter or bishop or apostle or prophet or teacher, just like it says in Ephesians and Corinthians today. The congregation, therefore, selected and called me to do what Ephesians says in its text. That may be me preaching false doctrine, and God is calling Cherie on the phone. Ah, ha, ha, ha. But how would you ever know it unless you were in his word? Ephesians, Paul says, so Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then he goes on saying, so that you no longer will be infants swayed back and forth by the world in opinions and false doctrine and false teaching, but rather equipped as God's people. I am called to prepare you to live in this world and battle in this world, to nourish you on God's word so that you are not confused by false doctrine, so that you have all of the armor of God, as Paul says in Ephesians, to walk and do battle in this world, spiritual battle, to prepare you to go out and be a living testimony of God's grace and his love and his mercy to everyone that you may encounter in your daily life. To equip the saints to go and make disciples. To get you ready for whatever ministry grace as the body of Christ decides to do in the community around them. For this reason, not everyone celebrates the Lord's Supper on Sunday. Not everyone baptizes or preaches. You have called me to lead, teach, prepare, and preach. Although in my absence, 
someone in the congregation can be selected to do that. And as part of the body of Christ, I do not consider being a pastor as a job. And I did not consider being a missionary a job or a profession. Is a calling. A calling that I received when I was baptized and did not develop or know or recognize until I was fully grown as I walked with the Lord in church. But the call was in my baptism. wasn't felt. There was no lightning from heaven. I didn't catch fire and was miraculously put out. It grew as I grew up in the church, not apart from it. My calling was first to know that I am a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. The second, my calling is to know that I have been redeemed by his blood and made a child, a holy person, a royal priest. And my calling is to go and make disciples. And so is yours. Your calling is in your baptism as a chosen and saved child of God. God's word called you to recognize your need for the forgiveness of sins. God's word tells you that you are redeemed through the blood and the sacrifice of Christ and his triumphant resurrection. Your call is that you are a holy child of God, a royal priest, to live as his child in this world and go and make disciples. This call is also called vocation. Vocatio in theological Latin term used to describe the life of the Christian. Vocatio is the calling the Christian has to live out his or her faith in the world, in his or her normal workplace, in his or her profession, whatever it may be. We are in the world, but not of the world. And this marks us in our life as being different from others in the world. It is our vocation, our calling to be ecclesia, church, called out of the world for the purpose of living in the world. There are two other additional Latin terms describing the life of the Christian. The other is tentatio, temptation. Who here has not felt that? Oh, no, put the hand down. Who here has not felt that? We all have felt it. No hands are up. Though we are tempted to live as the world does and enjoy those pleasures that are sinful in the eyes of God, this is the cross of Christ, our suffering in this world, as we are a part of this world, to flee temptation and to run to Christ, tentatio, and meditatio, meditation, that through devotion and feeding on God's word, we resist the devil, we put on his armor, we resist his arrows, and we live out our vocation, vocatio, tentatio, Meditatio, the life of the Christian. Today, remember those who have lived out their lives in faith. They were tempted. They prayed and they were victorious through their faith in Christ Jesus. They were faithful to their vocation to live as his children. They were faithful to their call. That is what these saints are, ones who now rest from the labors of this world and wear the crown of victory an everlasting life before their Lord. We are the living saints, living members of Christ's body, still functioning, still active, still living, still witnessing. Are you ready to take up your cross in this life and follow Jesus as part of your vocation, your life's calling? 
to go and make disciples with the gifts that he has given you, seeking to use them as the Holy Spirit has given to all God's children, and to cultivate them, develop them in whatever way possible, as you are able. Amen. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.